American Indian Airwaves. From Marcus Lopez, Fabiana Hirsch, I'm your host, Larry Smith. It was an important time to explain and really make visible the indigenous nations that comprise Mexico, at least along that route that they took between Chiapas and Mexico City. Today on American Indian Airwaves, supporting alternative media, and the 25th anniversary of the San Andreas Accords on Indigenous Rights and Culture, the result of the Zapatista Uprising of January of 1994, history, the progress, struggles, and setbacks, and more. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone want to welcome everybody to today's program here on American Indian Airwaves and we want to remind all of our listeners that us here on American Indian Airwaves could not broadcast on KPFK if it wasn't for the listeners that supported American Indian Airwaves and KPFK during its fund drive and KPFK has been an instrumental component and uh, an institution within the cultural history of Southern California and out there in the larger uh, internet media scape, if you will. And it's very important that we continue to have places like KPFK where marginalized voices like American Indian Airwaves can continue to broadcast. American Indian Airwaves is one of the longest running indigenous public affairs radio programs in the history of broadcasting and that says a lot that's historical it's remarkable american indian airwaves has brought uh, grassroots indigenous voices um, over the years over the decades and american indian airwaves has had its own generations of different hosts and different incarnations if you will over the years and and we appreciate the longevity of support, and of course, we ask everybody to continue supporting American Indian Airwaves and KPFK. And yes, one of the ways that we can say uh, thank you is just simply asking people to become a KPFK uh, Sustainers Circle donor member by going to the kpfk.org website, clicking on the widget that says donate, and then listener supporters financially donating on a monthly basis of a dollar denomination of their choice. And that's one way to help support us here on American Indian Airwaves to help grassroots indigenous voices and struggles. The other way is to pick up 
the book as a thank you premium. Dr. William Robinson's brand new book, The Global Police State, uh, that's a $125 premium. And of course, you can call 818-985-5735 or 818-985-KPFK to become a KPFK Donors to Circle member or to pick up Dr. William Robinson's brand new book on the global police state as a $125 premium. Or you can visit the kpfk.org website. And the book by Dr. William Robinson that we've featured here on American Indian Airwaves is a prolific book. It's profound, it's succinct, it's direct, and it's powerful. And the global police state uses a variety of methods of control, including mass incarceration, surveillance, police violence, U.S.-led wars, the persecution of immigrants and refugees, and the repression of activists. Dr. William Robinson shows how the global police state beyond control is an immensely profitable enterprise that keeps the global capitalist economy afloat in the face of chronic stagnation and certainly with the transition into the Biden administration in interviews with Dr. William Robinson, he has shown that based on the current, present, and proposed policies of the Biden administration that capitalism shall survive. The global police state shall not only continue surviving, but continue to manifest and permeate throughout all spheres of society, including the urban environment, what the Pentagon calls the battlescape, the future of where to police and how to police. Estimates uh, are that by 2030, over 80% of the world's population will live in urban environments and indigenous peoples today already. Uh, approximately two-thirds to three-fourths live in urban environments. And, and so this, this is ground zero of the global police state. In Dr. William Robinson's book, clearly easily unpacks what exactly that means. It's a $125 premium. Again, you can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or you can visit the kpfk.org website, and you can also become a KPFK monthly Sustainer Circle member by making dollar denominations of your choice. Marcus? Well, Larry, you said it all. All we can say is for our listeners, especially the people that key into American Indian Airways, um, all the team, yourself, Larry, Fabiana, and myself, trying to put the best together talking about the events of Native struggles and about Native peoples in the front line. We're not commercial. We're, uh, we are a public media organization. And our sponsor really are the, are you, the listeners, our listeners that may or may not afford the 125, especially it's COVID-19 climate. And that's why we have, you talked about it so rightly and so, and so needed by the station, our donor members and our uh, sustainer circles go to kpfk.org and tie into that 10 bucks a month you know and you can afford more even better but larry the fundraising especially what we do now in kpfk the station has bills they have to run a station our program costs and correct me if i'm wrong larry 125 150 dollars in between there to run a state a run a program for one hour 
and we have hundreds of programs, really excellent programs, and no commercial radio station is will carry. They will not carry these programs because of the fact that's the kind of character, the high morale and the high character as far as the station KPFK is, and the American Indian Airways follows through on that. And that's why we're asking people to dig into their pockets, get in like, like our dear friend ours, Corey Dubin, talked about, to put your wallet where your ear is. And within that, try to, in, when best as possible, join our family of KPFK, the, our listeners, and therefore we can be a true public media outlet and where we rely on you, the listeners, for supporting not only American Indian Airways. If you support American Indian Airways, phone 818-985-5735, 818-985-5735. If you like the Spanish-speaking indigenous programs or any other programs to talk about grassroots programs on the prisoners, programs of people of color, pro programs on the African continent that is second to none here at KPFK. And so please pick up the phone, phone 818-985-5735. The book, The Global Police State. Larry, I think it's, it, 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 it has a lot in it. It's just not one thing. What you right. summarize, it's a lot. But it's about, and we'll talk about that later on, some more of it. But Thompson, we talk about with the Fabiana, talk about the Zabatistas, talk about the Accord, talking about Mexico. Okay. Well, we can see the inner relationship with our Indian nations, yeah. with the nation state, and with the whole global economy going south. And it's like different in where Professor William Robinson talks about this, this mirror effect, this transnational capital class that we can see that it's a lot of mirrors, financial mirrors, industrial mirrors, in order to really don't explain and, and don't talk about the real crisis cap capitalism is happening to capitalism. And at the same time, the solutions to that. So I think it's a handy book. Larry, we're not going to offer a book that is sugarcoating it, and I think indigenous people need to get a hold of this book they can offer them as far as education and as far as what's happening in the global world because the global world affects our, you know, United States is, is not United States. United States, that's what they call themselves, but it's, a, it's the way they evolve within the states of ours. Many indigenous nations are parallel, are what they call our extra-constitutional relationships with those nation-states that very much exist and they're more, they have more territory than they have in the reservation through treaties, which have never been honored. Well, we can see that this globalness is, means the global within North America. It means that we go beyond the federalist or beyond the, the way the federal government talks about, but, yeah, but yet nation-to-nation -nation relationship with other nations, whether you're North America, Canada, or Mexico, or the world for that matter, of South, Albiello uh, South, Albiello North, or all the other continents that we live in the world that we have relationships with. So, Larry, this is a handy book for people to tantalize them as far as what's going on globally, but at the same time, they're organizing what they can be organizing within the world around us, especially this time 
uh, the transition from a very, very backward um, federal policy to a very outgoing uh, policy that is still uh, in the making. Larry. Thank you, Marcus. And we just want to remind listeners to support us here on American Indian Airwaves and support KPFK in our final fun drive week. Uh, again, you can pick up the book, The Global Police State by Dr. William Robinson. It's a $125 thank you gift. And also listeners can support us in the station by becoming a KPFK uh, Donors Sustain a Circle member by simply visiting the kpfk.org website clicking on the donate widget and agreeing to making monthly uh, denominations of your choice. So if you don't have the $125, maybe you can donate, you know, $5 a month, $6 a month or $10 a month, or maybe um, you can afford to donate more than $10 or $15 a month. That is appreciated and it helps fund and support voices like the work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves in KPFK. Uh, KPFK is the only uh, listener-supported radio station, even in the public medium, media spectrum uh, here in the Southern California uh, area. The other public media radio stations do receive corporate funding. They do have corporate underwriters in various ways, and KPFK does not ex- have corporate underwriters. And so we rely solely on you, the listeners. And that's important because it allows all the different programs, including American Indian Airwaves, including other indigenous Spanish speaking and other indigenous uh, uh, radio programs here on KPFK to provide the kind of content that we do unrestricted and free of contamination, if you will, of corporate toxicity in uh, engaging in forms of free speech. And so that's important to support us. If you like what we do, if you like what KPFK does um, and it has been doing and will continue to do with your support, pick up Dr. William Robinson's book, The Global Police State. It's $125 premium or become a KPFK monthly uh, Sustainer Circle member by donating on the KPFK website at kpfk.org or you can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Marcus, you had the opportunity to interview Dr. Fabiana Hirsch-Dubin, our Latin American correspondent here on American Indian Airwaves, regarding the 25th anniversary of the San Andreas Accords on Indigenous Rights and Culture. And the San Andreas Accords are the result of the Zapatista uprising of January of 1994. And we want to give listeners an experience and taste of the kind of work we do here on American Indian Airwaves. So this is part one of a two-part interview on the 25th anniversary of the San Andreas Accords on Indigenous Rights and Culture. Well, on February 16th of 1996, which means 25 years this past week, February 16th, there was an anniversary of, as you said, the San Andreas Accords, and they were Peace Accords on Indigenous Rights and Culture. That's how they were described in the broadest sense. And one of the main things that they were trying to counter in terms of Mexican history is the longstanding policy and practice in Mexico designed to assimilate and dilute original peoples. That's important because it wasn't fighting for rights in a vacuum. It was fighting for indigenous rights in a context of a very powerful 
history and set of forces that were determined to basically commit genocide through assimilation, taking away people's identity, taking away people's sense of who they were, basically denying indigenous roots. And this process was called indigenism, which almost sounds like a good thing, except in the Mexican context, it was the opposite. It was designed to eradicate people's sense of identity, history, culture, and everything that makes them who they are. And as you know, in Mexico, Mexico is like the largest indigenous population in that part of the Americas, Central Latin America. So there's that long history of erasure, attempt at erasure, which excludes the plurinational character of Mexico, because Mexico is made up of many, many indigenous nations, 65 different indigenous languages spoken. We're talking about a very indigenous country at at the heart. So the courts of San Andres um, asserted autonomy and recognition of indigenous peoples. And shortly after that, the development of the Congreso Nacional Indígena, the National Indigenous Congress, came out of that period of time. But the San Andres Accords grew out of the rebellion in 1994 of the Zapatistas, which were demanding autonomy, were demanding respect, the rightful place of indigenous peoples, not just Mayan, but indigenous peoples throughout Mexico and really the hemisphere and the world for that matter, but for certain the hemisphere of indigenous recognition, rights, rights to culture, rights to education, rights to patrimony. And this is very important, even though it happened 25 years ago, it marked a real historic turning point in the history of Mexico. Not that there hadn't been other movements in support of indigenous rights prior to that time, but in the in this current period, a very historic and very important period. Fabiana, um, uh, during this time too, it was a protocol of dialogue that the Zapatistas guerrillas entered into with the government included the phrase, with the government, with peace, with justice and dignity. For the listeners, why don't you take us back a little between 1994 and 1996 and the march, the march from the jungles, if you will, of Mexico to the central capital of the Mexican government, Mexico City. And that march that we reported here, the American United Airways, Corey Dubin and yourself, and we talked about that. Why don't, why don't you take us by the hand, you might say, and walk us through the features that were highlighted before they went and before they made their address to uh, the government of Mexico. That march of the peoples of the color of the earth took place after the San Andres Accords. They were emanating from the San Andres Accords. And it was the primary purpose, well, the primary purpose was to have basically a a march that took place in cars and buses because you can't really walk very easily from the southernmost state of Chiapas all the way to Mexico City. So it was a caravan but it was described as a march. And its purpose was to make an argument in front of the legislature in Mexico City 
about why the Sanandes Accords needs to be, needed to be adopted on a national level. But along the way was critical because not only did supporters gather on the road and wave, wave supporting, you know, commending the Zapatistas and their supporters for taking this extraordinary journey, which was also, by the way, dangerous because of paramilitaries, the military, et cetera. We're, we're not talking about just taking a stroll down the street here. So it was an opportunity, as they saw it, to visit and interact with peoples of indigenous descent along the way. So they stopped in different communities, in different lands of peoples to pay their respects, to acknowledge who they are, to talk about who they were, because they had lots of media and they had, of course, alternative radio among them. And it was an important time to explain and really make visible the indigenous nations that comprise Mexico, at least along that route that they took between Chiapas and Mexico City. So they would stay overnight, basically camp out on people's land and have ceremonies, have cultural events to celebrate the fact that people really appreciated greatly that there was this sacrifice going on of making this journey to Mexico City in order to present the demands, not only of Zapatistas, but of indigenous people in Mexico. So that journey was very important. Once they got there, once they got to Mexico City, got to the Congress, there were a number of people who boycotted and didn't show up of the legislators. And I remember it was a woman who presented their case in front of the legislature. And of it, what you said earlier is certainly the case. It was the only thing that they were willing to accept was not at that moment, but afterwards was a very watered water down to the point of not being meaningful version of what had been brought to them. So that was a heavy lesson, at least on the governmental level, to learn about concluding essentially that autonomy means you can't rely on the government for anything. I mean, the government, President Zidio signed the peace accords in San Andres. But in the end, it didn't mean anything. It was like another broken treaty because they knew ahead of time that it wasn't going to mean anything. It was, it was mainly for show, for the cameras that were all there and the media. But it, in substance, there was never a plan to really substantially change the situation for indigenous people in Mexico, which has been, a you know, problematic to say the least for many, many years. So that was a lesson the Zapatistas took back home with them on the way back to Chiapas was autonomy means we develop on our own with our own institutions, governmental and non-governmental within our own communities and do not rely on the Mexican national government, the, the state for anything, we don't ask for our rights, we create them. 
And that was part one of a two-part interview with uh, yourself, Marcus, and with Dr. Fabiana Hirsch, who's part of the American Indian Airwaves uh, uh, Collective. And you, uh, you were talking about the 25th anniversary of the signing of the San Andreas Accords on Indigenous Rights and, and Culture. Um, and the 25th anniversary was this past February 16th. And, and, and this is just a snippet of the kind of work that we do here on a week-to-week basis as part of American Indian Airwaves. And, you know, to remind our listeners, you know, we're not paid programmers. We are volunteer uh, programmers. All the programmers here on American Indian Airwaves uh, have volunteered and sacrificed over the years to bring you uh, marginalized Indigenous voices and marginalized Indigenous perspectives on a week-to-week basis. And this is part of our our community service, if you will, in helping to not only uplift Indigenous voices and marginalized perspectives, but to uplift, you know, the larger struggles that Indigenous peoples face at the grassroots levels, not only within the politically defined borders of the United States, but also internationally, specifically along the Western Hemisphere of Turtle Island, you know, of Mother Earth. And and so if you like what we're doing here on American Indian Airwaves, you can support us in KPFK by becoming a KPFK Monthly Sustainer Circle member by visiting the kpfk.org website, or you can pick up Dr. William Robinson's brand new book, The Global Police State. It's a powerful, direct, easy read that covers a wide variety of issues, you know, uh, ranging from sadistic capitalism to militarization, right, to forms of oppression and a whole lot more. It's a $125 thank you gift. And again, you can call 818-985-KPFK, 818-985-5735, or visit the kpfk.org website and become a KPFK Monthly Sustainer Circle member. Marcus? Larry, you're so right. The, this book is incredible. We're talking about it as a gift. If you, if you $125 gift for KPFK to pay the bills, to run the station. And so the number 818-985-5735, that's 818-985-5735. We're talking about the transnational media practice, Larry. And it says in this book that it reflects and reproduces the transnational transformation of capitalism, notes artists in the study global entertainment media. That transnational media conglomerates are instruments of and for the transnational capitalist class. In turn, the same global finance giants that we identified at the core of the global economy spreads their investment tentacles throughout Silicon Valley, as well as the corporate media entertainment. He talks about BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, J.P. Morgan, Chase, Capital Group, the Goldman Sachs, Camcos Corporations, Walt Disney Company. And later on, he talks about Besselman, uh, Vitacom, CBS, Time Warner, and that the fi- media finance CIT nexus is enormously influential and shaping the culture and ideology of global capitalism and reproducing the system's hegemony. Larry, it's so apparent. But yet, if you don't realize what's happened, this media, wherever that people are here and tie into, whether it be Fox, CBS, NBC, and all that, this commercial media 
if you turn to one station on top, they have the same media. They have the same coverage. And not the real, if we covered the crisis of capitalism, when we covered the, uh, we had the money in the war up to cover the, the misery of the working class, the misery of Native people, the misery of people of color in this country, the way we cover, for example, people's personality or Hollywood's personality, or, for example, the baseball or football, the, the, the amount of games and the amount of scrimmages and the amount of, you know, your, your um, um, statistics as far as baseball, according to the, the economy and social conditions that we live under, especially under this COVID-19, people would be up in arms overnight. The, unju uh, the unjust and equitableness of this society toward its population is mind-boggling. And if the media reported that, we will be in a different place. But the book talks about the global police states, talks about the media's role, the conglomerate transnational class, talks about its manipulation, its distortion, and its platform of the news, and that's where KPFK comes in. That's the, that's the opposite of that. That's the KPFK, American Indian Airways, and all the different programs talk about the real deal. Talk about what's really going on. You can go on the different programs. You might not like a person's personality, but yet the KPFK is trying to bring the truth, bring the voice to the voiceless, Larry. And that's what we do with the American Indian Airways. And that's what I think helps people to understand the, the dichotomy and the, the, the cross-references and the contradiction of, of media and what's happening in real life. Like, and the book talks about, Larry, that how the capitalist class and its tentacles out there take advantage of people within prisons, take advantage, like the bailing system again, at the same time, the, the slave system within the penal system, at the same time, who gets arrested, doesn't get arrested, at the same time, you know, the surveillance and the whole chapter within this about the surveillance and Silicon Valley, how the interrelationships, Larry, and I think of a funny word, for that, but it's, you know, now they call it the cross-sectionality. But the point of it, Larry, is that how the capitalist class manipulates, pretty much figure it out in social media, and you can go back to not only for Trump, but the Republican Party, you know, and, and the Democratic Party, how they manipulate everything in order to perform their particular task. And that is, Larry, bottom line, to control, to manipulate, and to talk about untruths rather than what we attempt to do, and hopefully you listeners, by donating and by, by calling the number 8735-818-985-5735, or by going into kpfk.org, and if you like what you hear, go to that, because we need that support. We need your support. And you know what, Larry? We want to thank, I know Fabiana and yourself, Larry, we want to thank the listeners, our indigenous brothers and sisters out there, people of color out there, the working class out there, that support and are listening to a lot of the programs we have here about the downtrodden and about the first-line struggle of the mineral extractive industries, whether it be pipeline, whether it be coal, whether it be uranium, whether it be you know, natural gas and many other diamond, gold, many other places in silver throughout the Abayala South, we can see that we bring that 
voices to you. And that's why in our last interviews, we're talking about the Buffalo Field Campaign. Not only bringing indigenous voices, but bringing the voices of our relatives, Larry, our four-legged, our, our, our birds and animals, insects, and, and all those type of things are what Native people feel that our relatives, in order to say, hey, this is what's going on, and this is what we can do, and that's what we can do in order to put, we want to put the ear, you might say, Larry, uh, of our listeners and um, to the ground and to see, listen to the earth and listening about climate change, listening about what the ocean has to say, what the water has to say, and that spirit has to say in order, in order to get us attuned to many elders talking about the infinity. How do you do that? Well, part of it is that phoning KPFK 985-5735, that's 818-985. 5735, and all those brothers and sisters out there that are in the casinos that are all, all of our voice, we need to support you. We need that support. Call us up. And also go to kpfk.org. And we know there's a lot out there. Maybe you could spend, you know, a couple hundred. Maybe you could spend ten uh, sustainers a couple hundred each month. We really appreciate it. And Larry, um, I hope I didn't speak out of turn saying that we want to thank our listeners and a continual long support of listening to the American in airwaves. Absolutely, Marcus. It's so so crucial and so important that listeners, uh, even if you're just tuning in, right, to recognize and, and appreciate, you know, the indigenous frontline voices, marginalized voices. And I want to come back to Dr. William Robinson's book and, and, and just read this short quote about corporate media. In Dr. William Robinson's book, The Global Police State, he says the corporate media conglomerates worldwide barrage the global public with ideological justifications for global capitalism, control the flow of information in such a way as to censor information critical of the system, bombard the public with trivial information, and frame events in such a way that the system of global capitalism is normalized. And I think when we're talking about capitalism and how it directly connects to the very quaint and sanitized term settler colonialism and history, right? The violence perpetuated against indigenous peoples and their respective first nations over the generation uh, that people are simply unaware of in so many cases because they live in a media-saturated world where they rely on the information that is provided or fed to them in the American mass media landscape. And if you look at the performance of the American mass media landscape, it is unlikely rare and perhaps even exceptional uh, if you actually saw media stories that were critical of capitalism. And in today's age, right, with the internet and social media, so many people live in what what has been referred to as a very silo-casted, media-saturated world where people navigate their media experiences within these very confined cylinders, these silos, and they're just fed a very specific, narrow understanding about the world that we live in um, and how we came to be and the direction of the future. And shows like this, American Indian Airwaves, stations like KPFK, uh, break out of the those siloed conventions that so many people 
are trapped in, right? Because they navigate their lives through corporate media conglomerates and they navigate their lives through a capitalist system. And because it's been normalized, right, they consider it part of the natural environment and they just simply don't question it. And what's powerful about the work that we do in KPFK is that we provide not only those marginalized voices, those frontline indigenous voices, but we critique capitalism in very real lived experiential ways and also and also the power of stations like KPFK is that we provide alternatives for a different kind of future. And I think that's very crucial. And I think that's a real threat, right, to how the corporate media performs. But I also, um, but also realize, right, how important stations like KPFK are, that they do provide alternative voices, right, for a different kind of future. And I think that's crucial. Um, I think that's integral to the survival uh, of all peoples. And I think that's why it's important that people acknowledge that and help support American Indian Airwaves and help support KPFK. Pick up Dr. William Robinson's book. It's a $125 premium, The Global Police State, or become a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by visiting the KPFK website at kpfk.org. And Marcus, now we want to return back to the two-part interview you did with Dr. Fabiana Hirsch-Dubin on the 25th anniversary of the San Andreas Accords on Indigenous Rights and Culture. And now the interview. We're speaking with Dr. Fabiana Hirsch-Dubin, our international correspondent for American Indian Airways, concerning the 25 years have passed since the San Andreas Accord was signed by the Mexican government. Fabiana, as you describe this, it doesn't give us justice to acknowledge the hard work of many of the people from the Zapatistas on the ground level, as well as many indigenous communities, which later formed, because of these accords, later formed the the National Indigenous Congress of Mexico that was very instrumental. Since then, the amount of ability for indigenous people to have a voice, number one. But, but, but let's go back to those times because Fabiana, you visited down there, and you're seeing the people. And when you talked about this caravan, this march from all the way southern Mexico to the Valley of Mexico or the, the, the capital of Mexico, Mexico City, we can say it's much like if people could understand it in, in North American terms, it's like the the Selma the the march across the, the in Selma, Alabama, the very much of down in Mexico. Before that, the indigenous populations, the different nations, that not only were they treated with disdain, but also they were treated with the most exploitative apparatuses, starting from the military, ending with the medicine, all that in between, and education, that indigenous people up to that point did not have a voice. Since that time, the traction and the involvement of the National Indigenous Congress and the Zapatistas accelerated the notion of being indigenous within Mexico. Talk about that for our listeners. Well, it's, it's very important because 
For example, when the Zapatistas put on masks when they rebelled in 1994, they said the reason they covered their faces was to be seen. That's the level of invisibility we're talking about here, that indigenous people were seen as just part of the wallpaper or something, not as human beings, not as full, really owners of, owners in the, in the sense of relationship to Mother Earth of the lands, not owners in the property sense. So we're talking about original peoples being, I can give you a quick example, but it really sums up a lot. The streets in San Cristobal are very narrow. That's the capital of Chiapas, or was the capital. It's actually a main tourist city now. And what was expected if an indigenous person, in this case Mayan, was walking down the street and a person of Spanish descent, lighter skin, was walking the other way, the indigenous person was expected to step down in the gutter to let the person of lighter skin go by and then get back on the sidewalk. The Zapatistas said, no more, basta ya, enough is enough, we've had it. And they resisted not just on the part of themselves, they were resisting on the part of the indigenous people of Mexico, even though they weren't doing it in their name precisely, but by their example, they were saying what was possible. Okay, so then, this led to the San Andres Accords because there was a sense of great momentum after the Zapatista uprising in 94, and a sense that this was a time to try to gain as much ground as possible in terms of education, healthcare, rights, in terms of bilingual education as well, and cultural rights all of the things that were vastly missing from the agenda of the government. So they did the San Andres Accords. This is a process that took several weeks to happen. And then as a result, part of it, even though it was the accords were signed by the government, and as we said before, they were not respected. It was just a piece of paper. However, they played a very important role in terms of the consciousness and the desire of indigenous peoples throughout Mexico to be more visible, to be more present, to have a stronger voice given the momentum of invisibility. So that is the reason that process, not the accords themselves, but the process of creating them was what led to the formation as you said, of the Congreso Nacional Indígena, or the National Indigenous Congress, which has since played an incredibly important role in the struggles that are going on throughout Mexico as we speak. I mean, these struggles continue against mega projects, against the stealing of water on Yaqui lands, you name it. Throughout Mexico, there are struggles going on that the Congreso Nacional Indígena and the Zapatistas together are mounting. And this has been a very, very important development that really you can trace back directly 
to the whole process that took place with the San Andres Accords. Thank you, Fabiana. On this um, 25 years after the signing of the San Andres Agreement, the first thing that should be pointed out is that the government betrayed them, number one. And the betrayal wanted to put pressure on the Mexican state to include the federal constitution. What are those areas of the constitutions that they want to impact and what areas were they were they uh, betrayed on the federal level? Well, they were definitely betrayed and that had to do with being led to believe that if they addressed the legislature, as we were talking about earlier, that people would listen, they would hear them, and they would go about trying to make some substantial changes. That did not happen. That's a betrayal. And the fact of eventually a version of San Andres did get adopted, but it was so watered down, it was meaningless. It didn't have any of the original intent or content of what people had struggled so hard for in that two week long process of developing the San Andres Accords. So that was a betrayal on the highest level, even though President Zedillo signed on the dotted line, but knowing ahead of time, it was all show. There was no real substance to what they were gonna actually do. There was no commitment whatsoever. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. This is part two of a two-part interview with Dr. Fabiana Hirsch-Dubin on the 25th anniversary of the San Andreas Accords on Indigenous Rights and Culture. And now back to the interview. And the other side is in the Constitution, they wanted to make certain changes in the way the language is written about Indigenous people in the Constitution and make it something that they could rely upon when they were making these different struggles in the streets and in the mountains and in the valleys of Mexico for indigenous people to have rights. To have, in a way like the UN DRIP provides a certain framework that people can point to when their rights are being denied. There's some similarity with what they were trying to achieve with the Mexican constitution. And that obviously didn't change either because the process of changing the constitution in Mexico may not be quite as complicated as doing it in the US context, but it's still very difficult to achieve. So that didn't happen. But importantly, what did happen was the galvanizing of so many indigenous peoples throughout Mexico that you have a real growth and development over the last 25 years of struggles that are happening on many, many fronts at the same time and that are very, very important and for which people have lost lives because of leading these struggles and being shot down by the military or the paramilitaries, but people have persevered because they feel that their very existence is at stake, as well as the existence of the planet. Fabiana, we can see that the accords, the basic rights of autonomy, the recognition of communities with collective rights, the ability of communities to associate with each other, and the rights of municipalities 
with the majority indigenous, the recognition of territorial rights were not included in the constitutional reform. That was the basis of the accords like you just articulated. But within that, that gave a setting ground, you might say, of the formation of the Indigenous Governing Council. And the and also that it was formed and launched its spokesperson, Maruchui, as candidate for president of the republic. And I think this is crucial because it was crucial for that moment in time. Talk about that, Maruchui and the run for president. Well, Maruchui was chosen as someone by the rank and file, as it were, of the Congreso Nacional Indígena, the National Indigenous Congress, to run for president, never really for the purpose of actually winning the office because they're realists and they know what's possible and what's not possible. But it was a platform in order to advance the struggle for indigenous rights in Mexico. That was the heart of it. And this took place a couple of years ago and she was running um, against um, Obrador at the time and actually was really using the opportunity of having the uh, running for election as a way to meet with people throughout the country. There's tremendous respect that grew and developed during that time because she's um, Nahuatl descent and is a healer and in many ways was healing the nation, trying to heal the nation, at least in terms of the indigenous side of Mexico, in terms of saying what people's rights actually are, because part of it is also getting people who for so many years of being treated as invisible, you don't necessarily stand up and take take action when you're feeling under attack. So part of the purpose of her running for president was really not the presidency, although there was an, a part of it did allow for a critique of the whole electoral system. And that was in there as well. But the main purpose of it, and I was actually at the meeting where in San Cristobal where they discussed her candidacy and they talked about the fact that the most important part of it to, to the people gathered there of the, of the National Indigenous Congress was her reaching out and talking and taking back the message of indigenous peoples throughout Mexico into her campaign and as a galvanizing force of trying to really just gain momentum for the movement. You're tuned in to the American Indian Airways here on KZAA LP 96.5 FM on your dial, Santa Barbara, California. We're speaking about the San Andreas Accords, autonomy versus the Mexican state. This month is the 25th anniversary of signing of the San Andreas Accord with the Mexican government. Now let's get back to discussion with Dr. Fabiana Hirsch-Dubin, our international correspondent of the American Indian Airways. And Fabiana, lastly, we, we see that the CNI 
talking about the long-term historical objectives and in, in the and the notion of uh, for the indigenous peoples about the what they state that indigenous people who are the oppressed by Mexican state and by the capitalist system must liberate themselves. What's so what's so important about that for our listeners? Well, I think one thing that's not easy to imagine in our context, even though it could happen, it really could happen, but it hasn't been part so much of the reality here, except when you're talking about sovereignty, in many ways, sovereignty and autonomy are not that far apart, potentially, (laughs) because autonomy is really the development of your own institutions without interference from the state, whatever that state may be, US, Mexico, or any other national government. And that's the decision and the actions that have gone on since 94 with the Zapatistas, and also in many of the communities that comprise the National Indigenous Congress throughout Mexico. They have their own police forces, they have their own way of educating children, they have their own way of doing health care, which combines traditional and Western approaches, etc. There's many examples of it. So the point is that they are separating themselves. And it's been interesting in the context of so many things, from the economic crisis in Mexico to COVID and how the Zapatistas have dealt with that. When you have an autonomous perspective and practice, you don't look to the government to solve your problems. That's the bottom line. You do the problem solving among the people. And it takes a lot of time. They have assemblies that go on for hours and hours. The democratic process with a small d is a lot of work. It takes a tremendous amount of work and patience and being willing to do all that's necessary in order to build your own institutions, but not institutions in the sense of creating something that can't be changed because they want institutions. They always talk about obeying the people. And that means really listening to them and not, you know, they know that power grabs can happen in any context. So they stay as much as they can on top of those kinds of things. And they have rotating good government councils, for example, so that people don't become entrenched in a position and feel like they're fighting for that position. They go back to their fields, their meal bus, and work after their turn is taken as they have different teams of people that comprise those good government councils. So somebody doesn't become vested in I'm president or I'm, you know, a part of this body. They're responsible to it and they're committed to it, but they're not vested in it. And those are very different kinds of concepts. So it's a very, very different way of viewing what's possible, what can be done within the indigenous community context, within nations of people who have decided that they're going to carry out their own program and their own way of doing things and not do it in the context of the government. 
And lastly, Fabiana, what do you want people to take away from this conversation? And we're talking about the 25 years have passed since the San Andreas Accord in Mexico. Well, two main things. First of all, that it's not just history when you're looking back 25 years. It's very much a part of what's going on today in terms of the struggles for indigenous rights and respect and struggle for land, struggle for autonomy, cultural rights, respect for history, respect for language, education, healthcare, et cetera. That's number one. Number two, something that they point out in, in the interview that was done with one of the founders of the Congreso Nacional Indígena is that there has to be a struggle against capitalism. That's one of the things that he says that's very, very important, that actually the only way that people's rights are going to be respected is if we can have a place on this planet because capitalism, as we know, and have also talked a lot with Professor Bill Robinson about this in terms of the book Global Police State, capitalism and transnational capitalism, which of course includes Mexico, is intent on wiping out indigenous people's struggles. The moment of silence is over. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. That was Dr. Fabiana Hirsch-Dubin speaking on the 25th anniversary of the San Andreas Accords on Indigenous Rights and Culture. A special thank you to our guest for the hour, Dr. Fabiana Hirsch-Dubin. A special thank you to our musical guests, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burnt Swamp Studio in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, Fabiana Hirsch, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. Wearing their souls on the thread. The moment of silence is over. Why your freedom manifests on their graves And the blood never comes clean from their guilty minds Nor the hands that hold the chains Wearing our souls on the thread The moment
silence is over.